Nations, this is Dave Arnold, your host of Cooking Issues, coming to you live from the heart of Manhattan at Rockefeller Center, Newsstand Studios. Joined in the studio only today with uh, Joe Hayes and Rocking the Panels. How you doing? I'm doing great, man. It's uh, kind of a solo show, just you and I. Well, yeah, well, here. Here in New York City. Yeah, we're, we are, you know, inter, intra-continental, what, what, cross-continental. What is it when you're only across the continent? What is that? Transcontinental? Transcontinental? Okay. I'm not sure. Okay. Well, uh, up there in the uh, upper west of uh, of this area, we have uh, Quinn chilling in uh, Vancouver Island. How you doing, Quinn? Hey, I'm doing all right. Good, good, good. And then uh, we have actually we have a a surprise special guest on the telephone with Nastasia Lopez. How you doing, the Hammer? Good. Good. We got Captain Greasy, Nick Coleman. He doesn't like that. He likes he likes Mr. Oily better, Mr. Oily. He's like, he's like, olive oil's not grease. Olive oil's not grease, my friend. Oh, my God, you brought some sort of instrument? Oh, my goodness. It's the flute. It's, it's, but it's not like a normal flute. Is it some sort of weird, like, tantric flute oh, this thing? Is an Indian, what? Indian concert fairy flute. Indian concert, what was the last word? Bansuri flute. It's Bansuri, Bansuri, Bansuri. And- right, Bansuri. That's what it is, Bansuri. And uh, yeah, it's wooden, correct? It is made of wood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, how much does it change with uh, with uh, humidity and all that? Very little. It's, it's. I mean, I think cheaper ones would, but this is made by this famous Bansuri maker named Subhash. S U B H A S H. If anyone else out there is looking. Yeah. And you can get them online. Famous Bansuri maker in India. What kind of wood do they make it out of? I think it's bamboo. Really? Huh. And that's like the best. Yeah. To- I mean, obviously, it's the best toned wood. If that's what they use, that's what the be- is the best for that instrument. I I did not know that. I did not know that. Uh, yeah, it's really really peaceful. Yeah, and we got uh, we got uh, Jackie Molecules. Hey, hey, what's going on? Hey, nothing. So you. Uh, so since this is a, we're, we're all together now, we don't have John here in the studio. He's busy doing, uh, I don't know, temperance wine bar stuff. I think someone called out. You guys know how it is these days. People call out and then everyone has to shuffle around. It's not like the old days, which is, I think, good. What do you guys think about that? Like the more, I mean, whatever. I'm not even going to get into it. It's, just, it's too thorny to get into. Anyway, uh, if you're listening live on the Patreon, call in your questions to uh, 917-410-1507. That's 917-410-1507. And uh, I don't even remember. Go to, go to uh, patreon.com forward slash cooking issues. Is that correct, Nastasia? Yeah. 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 Enjoy. Yeah. All right. And uh, join in if you want. You know, whatever. Anyway. Uh, so we're going to do a No Tangent Wednesday because we weren't here on Tuesday. We're going to do a No Tangent Wednesday. But uh, you guys got anything interesting you've, uh, you've done? Anyone done anything interesting, food or otherwise, over the last week? Anything? Uh, we, uh, my, my family did a lamb tagine on Sunday. That was pretty good. Yeah? Do you have a, do you have a tagine? Yeah, we found one for 10 bucks on Facebook Marketplace. No, oh, oh. you know, I actually, I like the Facebook marketplace because it's the last bastion of people who haven't figured out how to like make a lot of money off of eBay and it's like slightly less creepy than Craigslist. So I bought some cool stuff off of uh, Facebook marketplace. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, it's great. Yeah. Yeah. Great. I almost bought, uh, I don't own a ta- ta- Tajin at this point. I almost bought, you like that stuff, right, Joe? You're a Tajin fan, aren't you? 
I love them. Yeah. Uh, I almost bought one at, uh, so if, if for any of you who are in New York City, they might still have this. So Calustians, Calustians eventually is going to take over that whole block. It just keeps growing, Calustians. But um, they have in the section where they have the cookware, they have a whole bunch of tagines, beautiful tagines that are almost free. Like, you know, big ones, like ones you could feed like a family of like four or five with, like big ones. Almost free because they got lead in them. A little bit of lead. Like a little bit, like a little bit of lead. So like they were supposed to be lead free and they came into the country and someone tested them and was like, Mm, lead free free no so they had to put a big sticker on it that says this is a decoration now you know i don't know what kind of you know whatever i don't have room for a giant ceramic tagine shaped decoration in my apartment i don't know who does in new york you know what i mean but then you know whatever i assume yours did not have lead in it quinn that you know of uh, i hope so yeah yeah so how was it how was you how was the uh you said lamb right you did lamb yeah, we did lamb. Yeah, it was good. Uh, you, know what good. I, you know what I'm perpetually upset about? That uh, I can't get mutton here. I've tried several times. I've, I've, I've just mm. missed it a couple of times, but I've always wanted to get like old school mutton. I went to Keens, people, and I want to hear, go to Keens, get the mutton chop. The mutton chop at Keens is delicious, but as far as I'm concerned, it tastes like maybe it's like two days older than lamb. It's like, you know... Like, yesterday it was a lamb, and today it's mutton, and they killed it today. That's what it's like. It's not like, I wasn't like, oh, my God, this is super muttony. And the other thing, I think I've said this on the air before, I really want to try is that giant fatty lamb tail, that, like, North African, I think it's North African fatty lamb tail. Someday. Someday I will have the fatty lamb tail. Can you imagine growing a sheep just so that it has a giant fat tail? And then, like, eating that giant fat tail. I mean, that, that's so awesome. The conceptually. I don't know. Well, are you guys down for the fatty lamb tail? Yeah, sounds yeah, good to me. Yeah, yeah. What about, what about, I'm, sure, I'm sure Nick is down for a fatty lamb tail. I mean, he'll move away from olive oil for fatty lamb tail, right? I was born for a fatty lamb tail. Yeah, yeah. What about you, Stas? You down with the fatty lamb tail? Yeah, yeah. We should, we should try that. Hey, Nick, I had an idea. See what you think. Yeah. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, somebody asked a question about oleogelation. And I know you like anything with the word oleo in it. So, uh, you know, they were talking about, um, you know, various ways to thicken oils, most of which, you know, don't taste very good, right? Uh, but it led me to read, like, the most recent comprehensive review on uh, on, you know, gelling oils. And there's a variety of different ways to gel oils. Now, you and I were talking about mixing olive oil, and I think I talked about it on air a little bit, olive oil with uh, coconut fat to create kind of um, butter analog so I can make, like, olive oil biscuits. And I've made them, and they're delicious, right? You know, like uh, like with, uh, I forget what numbers I quoted you, Nick, but it, I can get, like, a fairly high percentage of olive oil in there and still make, like, a traditional biscuit with it as long as you pre-freeze the oil mixes, right? But I think, so one of the, one of the prime ways of making uh like solid oils, right, is to add a relatively small percent, like on the order of 3%, 3 or 4 or 5 or 6, depending on which you use, edible wax. Have you ever tried making like a beeswax oil thing? You could use carnauba, which would be more neutral, but I thought you would prefer bees. What do you think? You ever try it? I, I have not, but I know of an oil producer that is now making... An edible candle 
huh. that is exactly that, like olive oil and some kind of wax of some sort. And then they can shape it and make these beautiful uh, vertical, like well-shaped candles that you can put on a plate in the center of a table. And as the candle burns and melts, the liquid that forms, you can then dip bread in. Ah, all right. I like that. But uh, I, so I was reading the article, and if you want to, we can experiment with it or something at some point. But a lot of the texture of it, right, because it's all about how the crystals form as it's cooling, right? So a lot of it has to do with cooling it and stirring it to, like, at a very specific temperature and then allowing it to set, right? So if you just let it set solid, you know, if you just heat it up, let it cool, it's got a very different texture than if you stir it until crystals just start to form and then let it go solid. In the same way that, like, sugar crystals depend, like, on a fondant, exactly how it's manipulated as it's cooling. So, like, it seems to me that you could probably get almost any texture you wanted, right, uh, within reason by manipulating the variables, in other words, the quantity you use, and then the stirring and chilling regime. But I think it would be kind of fun to make, uh, like, an olive oil butter. You know what I mean? If you wanted it to be 100% vegan, I guess you couldn't use beeswax. You'd have to use carnauba. I just don't have a ready source of carnauba wax sitting around. I always used to love reading candy. cocoa butter also works. Uh, yeah, no, but cocoa, cocoa butter, butter is a fat. So cocoa butter is good for like doing that, but like not, but I'm, I'm trying to do waxes, right? So I've done cocoa butter, olive mm-hmm. oil and it, and it works great, right? I'm just trying to figure out like the wax based. I'm trying to figure out a wax based one because you can use a much smaller percentage with cocoa butter. You need to use like almost 50, 50 or, 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 or thereabouts cocoa mm-hmm. butter to olive oil to get it to set to the texture of a butter. And it works. I've done it many times, but with a wax, you can have it be almost all olive oil. You see what I'm saying? So, like, you can, wow. you can mm-hmm. yeah. And so, like, um, carnauba, I, I, you know, I have a soft feeling in my heart for carnauba wax because when you grow up and you buy nerds candy or any other candy and you read on the back of it and it says carnauba wax. And then if you grew up in my house, my dad would look at me and be like, that's what they use to wax cars. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if it's good for my car and it's good for my candy, maybe it's good for my olive oil too. You know what I mean? Was that like a was that is that a Wonka trick? Yeah, you know the Wonka Corporation. Yes, did use carnauba wax on their gobstoppers for sure. I remember that specifically. But um, you know what I hate like a lot. I hate when. When uh, so a lot of people write the, write this book. This book has been every every like three years. This is like someone writes this book where they're like they take an ingredient that's in food and then they're like they use that to make explosives. You know what I mean? You ever see, you ever read that? They're like titanium dioxide is used to in paint and yet they're using it in your food. I just hate that. I hate those arguments so much. Just because a product is used in some industrial way doesn't mean that it's not also wholesome or fine to put in your food. You know what I mean? I'm sure it's an anarchist cookbook somewhere, right? I don't know, but it's, no, it's always these people trying to like freak you out. It's always, it's, it's, everyone's always trying to freak you out. You know what I mean? And then the, the classic response is people are like, well, water is used in explosives too. Water is, you know, and you're like, yeah, 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 whatever. I don't know. The whole argument irritates me, and it's going to come up in a question later. But anyway, Nick, you want to play around with this? You interested? If I, if I get some wax and run some experiments, you want to uh, talk to me about them? I'd love to experiment with this because I want to, like I said, these, these like 
custom formed candles that melt and then are edible at the table that are made mainly out of good olive oil. Yeah. Very appealing. Well, have you, have you, have you used one? No, I've seen one. I just learned about it just in the past year. Uh, this oil producer in Liguria in Northwest mm. Italy is experimenting with them. He was the one who showed it to me. So, okay, Nastasia, I have a feeling you either love or hate the word Liguria. I kind of like it because it's, it's, it's kind of fun to say. What do you think, Stas? Yeah, I don't have a problem with it. Yeah, Liguria. Um, and you know, obviously, the question is, is uh, what does the heat do to the oil, right? So Casey, who works at a museum and has a great Instagram account where she does things, made that kind of uh, that mayonnaise that mayonnaise candle that people were making uh, during the holidays, like cranberry mayonnaise candle. Remember this? And she, you set it solid, and then you put a wick in it, and then you light it on fire, and it's like this cranberry mayonnaise candle that burns. And she said the smell was atrocious, like real bad, like, like no good. So I like, but, you know. I mean, olive oil, people use it in lamps and it must smell good, right? I've never burned an olive oil lamp. What does an olive oil lamp smell like, Nick? Um, it's not that aromatic. It's pretty neutral. Right, but it's, you're, not like, you're not like leaving the room in pain like she was with the cranberry mayonnaise candle. Oh, no. Like the olive oil lamp, is, it's like really, it burns very clean. Yeah. I bet you the smell is from the eggs, don't you think? Burning those eggs. I think that's what the smell is. I think cranberry burning is fine. I think it's the eggs and the mayonnaise burning that it, because no one likes the smell of burnt eggs, I don't think. I think it's unpleasant because there's sulfur in it, too. Yeah, the burnt smell is really nauseating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's what it was that was killing it with the, with the mayonnaise. You ever, you ever gone swimming in a sulfur spring before? I, I have I gone swimming in a sulfur spring. I've been next to a sulfur spring. Oh, okay. I don't know that I've gone swimming in one. Yeah, where, where do you go swimming in a sulfur spring? In, in Florida, there's the sulfur springs. Isn't that all of Florida? One well, big sulfur yeah. hole, isn't it? Because it's, it's hell, right? No offense, Florida. No offense. Uh, it's, a, it's quite nice. Whenever I used to visit my grandparents and had to drink the water, oh my God. That, that smell, that Florida water smell. Right from the Everglades. Yeah. Does anyone have really, really awesome municipal water in Florida? Like, is anyone like, I love my water. Uh, in Gainesville, there's, uh, it's all fit, all the water's from springs. Oh, all right. That's probably fine then. Yeah. yeah. All right. All limestone. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. Uh, what else you guys got? Anyone else got anything uh, fun? What about you, Molecules? Anything good? I, I got. What? I got something fun. All right, go. I got some fun. I was just judge at the Los Angeles International Olive Oil Competition this past week in Pomona, California. Oh, this is Nick, by the way, not molecules. Yeah, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. And we tasted hundreds of olive oils from both hemispheres, and we do double-blind tastings where they come out with a number in a blue glass, and we just analyze the smell and taste and decide if it's defect. If there's any defects, it gets eliminated from the competition. And then we rate them basically bronze, silver, or gold, or best in class. And then at the end, all the ones that are best in class, we taste back-to-back to, ter- to determine which is truly, like, the, the cleanest, most uh, transparent, dynamic, vibrant oil. Did you do it old-school Iron Chef where you bit into a bell pepper and you asked which olive oil rem- will be supreme? That's the best, right, when he bites into that bell pepper for no reason? Remember that? Um, I did not do that. 
No. Yeah, next time. Next time. You need to say, whose cuisine <laughs> will reign supreme? And then you bite into an apple. You never did that? That's the best. We do use apples and plain Greek yogurt as palate cleansers before we then sip sparkling water, which scrubs the tongue. I, I, to, I didn't mean to say move on. I didn't mean to say apple. He does it to, a, I believe, a green bell pepper. Uh, but uh, let me ask this. So no one who – what's the name of that fancy pro-fusty oil that where they, they, they purpose-fust it? What's that, what's that oil called? Fruité Noir is a Provençal style of oil where they create a self-induced defect to give the aroma and taste of olive tapenade. Yeah. I like how you still have to call it a defect, but even though they're doing it on purpose. So, but no one who does that kind of style would dare show their face like this because they'd be just immediately chucked, right? That's so interesting you bring this up because I was speaking to the president of the L.A. Olive Oil Competition, and we were talking about the possibility next year to create a sector within the competition of virgin olive oils, Mm. not extra virgin, which would allow a certain amount of that to be graded and judged because there is a culinary applicability of these virgin olive oils. Right, but would anyone be willing to judge it on its own merits rather than on, like, a predetermined set of what's right and what's wrong? Like, is there space in your—not in you personally, because I know there is you personally, but is there space in your world for things that just happen to be delicious, right, as long as things are done purposely? It would have to—because the extra virgin category has a very specific set of parameters— you would have to create a new category of virgin olive oils and have that be a different category than the extra virgins. So it would be like the equivalent of like super Tuscan wine, right? It doesn't fit into any of the categories, but people still like it and will pay for it. Exactly. And I think there's um, not just for that Fruité Noir style, but even like, you know, for co-packing, for, for packing fish or anchovies and stuff, a lot of people want a more affordable olive oil that still has merit to it. And Virgin is a great place to go for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I have one more question. So, any huge surprises? Any like any, anyone? Anyone who like you're like, oh, that was so much better than I thought it would be, or once it was unblinded, or anyone where you're like, oh my god, those guys <clears throat> like they make that garbage. Anything? Um, well, we're as judges, like we don't know yet, and, and they they haven't announced the winners. So I genuinely am tasting things double blind. I don't know the country of origin. I don't know the olive cultivars. It's truly on the smell and the taste and the harmony of both the smell and taste. Now let me, um, let me ask you another. What, let me ask you another question. Hold on a second. One more question for, before you go. So yep. I've heard from this guy named Nick Coleman that the color makes no difference to the oil at all. So why bother blinding you just because you might know what the cultivar is based on the color? Why blue glass it? No, it's a, um, you don't want uh, the prejudice of color having a psychological impact of something. Um, so it's just judges don't trust I mean? themselves to not be prejudiced. I, I get that. I get that. I, I think we're inherently like, it's almost like the more you know, the more you see. You know, if it looks really green psychologically in your mind, you might just be like, oh, this one's going to be really grassy and herbaceous. Man, man, man. But I mean, it may not. Yeah, um, yeah. Let's, let's so, no, but from a... From a from a, an actual tasting standpoint, it makes perfect sense to remove all those variables. I'm just curious, you know, I'm just curious, like, what the, you know, what the, what the read is. The other one, what percentage would you say were, 
In other words, were you like, oh, I'm pleasantly surprised that most of these are okay, or were you like, oh, my God? Oh, no. Oh, no. Um, in most olive oil competitions, like 30 to 50% of the submissions are defective. And it also depends on country. Like olive oil competition after olive oil competition, uh, the country of Greece typically submits the most oils and wins the least awards. Because hmm. people are prejudiced against Greek styles? No, it's because the mills are old. And they're not necessarily, they don't, they don't have the sanitary practices of, say, parts of Italy. And people develop what's known as a house palate, meaning there's so many islands there, they only eat their family's oil for generations. And they genuinely believe it's great, but it has all sorts of defects in it due to poor handling of fruit or transportation or poor milling or unfiltered, because unfiltered is not ideal. Right, but they like so, it that way. So, like, Lambic beer is completely messed up, but people seem to like it. Right. That's my, I guess, one of my core questions. Right. If it's reproducibly the same, quote unquote, poorly milled and they know they like it that way and it's not different from year to year, how is it not a valid style? Um, you know, first of all, A, you can get used to anything. <laughs> Ask Nastasia about working B. with me. <laughs> B, um, you know, they can like it all they want and they can enjoy it and they can make it. But if you send it to a competition that has very strict sensory parameters that defines what it is to be a clean oil where the fruit wasn't damaged at any part of the process, then that, you know, it's not the place to to send that type of oil. All right. Yeah. It's like a corked bottle of wine. Some people may like it, but it's not produced accurately. And that doesn't help a consumer who's in a store, you know, trying to buy a real bottle of extra virgin olive oil. Because the problem is if you buy that and it doesn't taste good, then you end up using less of it. You end up kind of getting turned off to the olive oil sector. So, you know, it's important when people buy something real that it tastes great because it'll make them use more of it. All right. Let me ask you, uh, I had one more follow-up on this, and now you've, uh, your, your, your mellifluous response has uh, erased erased my mind uh, but oh wait olive oil faults olive oil oh, it'll come to me eventually anything else uh, fun that they uh, who was there did, was McGee there was McGee one of the judges no he did he come down McGee was there yeah. hanging out with McGee for a few days it was really yeah. fun yeah yeah I remember when he first started doing those things that's when he started calling us low quality individuals for liking the fustiness he's like you can't like that Dave he's like you should not like that if that stuff's garbage that's trash you don't let anyone tell you anything that you should or shouldn't like. Okay. I don't know. Okay. Uh, man, I wish I could remember the question I had about olive oil for you. Oh, well. What about you, Jack? You got anything? Anything fun? Are you in Los Angeles now? Where are you? So, yeah, I'm in L.A. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was making a Kung Pao chicken recipe Realized I was out of peanuts and went to my local Arawan, <laughs> which is a very overpriced boutique grocery store. And the only thing they had was something called jungle peanuts. Oh, my goodness. And I was curious if you had heard of these before. It was like, I, not. I don't know, like $16 for, you know, a 
package of peanuts. Um, and they claim to be some kind of heirloom nut, wild crafted in some, by some tribe in the Amazon. Um, in the Amazon? I was just upset I had to spend so much on peanuts. Yeah, I, I don't know. I've never had... They look kind of like burnt. They're like, they're dark. Uh-huh. How'd they taste? Fine. Yeah. <laughs> not not worth all the money I spent. I've, but, o- I've only yeah. ever once spent an exorbitant amount of money on a peanut and been happy about it. But they used the best strategy ever. And I think I said this on the air when it first happened. Like, I walked into a pharmacy... In Katona, which is an overpriced town in Westchester, where everything's overpriced in Katona anyway. You know what I mean? And I walked into the pharmacy, and it was some unconscionable amount of money for a can of peanuts. But they had a, a crap load of these cans of peanuts, like a crap load of them. Virginia peanuts. I've never had a Virginia peanut before. Which, by the way, you don't need to grow in Virginia. It's a variety. They're big. And I said, what are these so special? Why do these cost so much money? Person looks me dead in the eye and goes, if you don't want to buy it, don't buy it. I was like, oh, crap, I'm buying this. You know what I mean? Like, if, if they're not selling gotcha, it at yeah. all, you know what I mean? If they're not like, don't buy it. I'm like, I'm going to buy this. That, I was like, that is a genius sales technique. And you know what? Best peanuts. Best. Amazing peanuts. And that, you know, Nastasia knows because I talk about it all the time. Like, we would buy Virginia peanuts. Remember we used to buy uh, tins of Virginia peanuts for chefs and whatnot, Stas? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love a Virginia peanut. They're good. Oh, uh, speaking of good, next week we have, uh, we, she rescheduled, I forget what happened. Something happened. Uh, uh, Carolyn Schiff, pastry chef Carolyn Schiff. So, uh, make, get all your pastry related questions in, uh, quickly. I can't, how much was this thing of peanuts you bought, Jack? And how much, how big a, a unit was it? It was at least like $15 oh and it maybe, maybe like eight ounces. Oh my God. And they were burnt or they just yeah. looked burnt. Not burnt. No, they're darker. Um, when you say I, like darker, meaning me, meaning like all the nuance has been roasted out of them. They just tasted like roast. Uh, oh no! Here it says it says uh, beautiful to behold. They're long and lean with a deep chocolate colored stripe. I mean that sounds good, but if it's not like if it doesn't taste they're eighteen dollars, yeah, it's just just you're saying it's thirty six dollars a pound. Meal from home to you're telling me it's thirty six dollars so, yeah. a pound. Yeah. Think of what you can buy for $36 a pound, right? You know what I mean? Like, you know, that's, I don't know. Uh, Jack, where are you in the, in the, yeah. pe- in the peanut pantheon? If I'm going to put in front of you, I mean, obviously you eat a salted nut. I'm not even going to like, I'm not even going to, not even going to, oh, yeah. yeah, come on, please. Right. But if I'm going to put a dry roast nut and a not dry roast and, and like a regular, like, you know, the smooth ones, would you go for the dry roast or would you go for the smoothies? Ooh, I'd go for the dry roasted. Really? Really? I think so. I like I dry so. roast. I like it, but, like, the problem is that when you pound so much of it, it shreds your mouth up. You know what I mean? Oh, that's true. Yes. Yes. I, I do like a dry So in a mix, do you prefer a dry roast in a mix with other nuts, which are almost always typically, which are actual nuts? Obviously, everyone knows peanuts, legume, not a nut. You know what I mean? Uh, but, yeah. yeah, I mean, but... So you like a dry roast in a mix? Where, where's everyone else on the dry roast, not dry roast uh, spectrum? I'm into dry roast, but I'm, yeah. I, I don't, um, 
I like all nuts. Yeah? Yeah, I put them on my hands and just... I got some nuts here, actually, for you. Really? I tried getting some of those gluten-free peanut pretzels. I can't find them anymore. Yeah. Anyways, it was a pretzel shortage, like the eggs. It's just like eggs. Egg price has gone through the roof. Maybe pretzel... Yeah, weird. So what nuts did you bring? Cashews. Oh, I love a cashew. Yeah, I can break them up. Let me tell you something about cashews. I feel bad for the people that have to get the nuts out because it's, like, caustic to their hands. They have to wear gloves. It's, like, it's pretty hardcore. I actually never seen the cashew shells. They're pretty tough. The, well, you so you never seen the cashew fruit. The, the cashew nut is like sticking out of the bottom of it. Looks really weird. And the cashew apple, which is the thing on top of it, is also used as a ingredient. But it's like it's a um, causes dermatitis. So the people who like have to decashew it, I think they have to wear gloves or get inured to it or not be reactive to it or is something. Is that why like. they're so expensive? Maybe. Gone, the cashews have gone very expensive. I think they're expensive because they're delicious. They taste real good. I have to say, you know what? I'm not a huge... I'm, I'm never like, you know what I need? I need a Brazil nut. Oh, now I love Brazil nuts. I don't hate they're Brazil real nuts. They're in the ass to crack, though. Yeah, yeah. Well... They look like lava rocks. Do you know that every... Oh, I don't know. I don't know if it's still true, but every year people are killed by Brazil nuts. Killed. Falling out of the bush? The, the trees are insanely tall, and the nuts come a bunch of those big things to a pod, and so it's the things fall like a hundred feet out of the sky, and like and that's it. Gravity. You know what I mean? It's like that guy in uh, Jersey who was killed like six years back when a tape measure fell off of a, uh, a construction site, which is why you need to always wear a hard hat in a construction zone. You know what I mean? And tie it with your waist. Yeah, well, I mean, I feel, I'm sure that whoever dropped the uh, tape measure felt terrible. But it's like, wear a hard hat in a construction zone, people. You know what the thing is? Is that, like, It's like everything else. It's like, I, you know, Booker, Booker, right? So, oh, my God. You know how much we lose when you clean a box of squid? Because I had this old box of, you know how, you know how it's, it's hard to buy squid cleaned nowadays? Uh, it used to be easy to find boxes of clean squid that you could just cut into rings and tentacles and then, you know, maybe, you know, and, and then fry them, right? You know, I, I buttermilk brine them to make sure that they don't get hard because the acid breaks down the thing, blah, blah, then, you know, bread fry. So Booker made me buy the unclean squid and then I found a box of clean squid. So then I bu- made that and then he had, so he cleaned it. So much loss out of that. So much loss out of the squid. Do you clean the, the beak? This oh yeah, the beak, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, you got to take the pen out, the beak out, and you got to rip off the the, uh, the skin. You know, it's a hassle. It's disgusting. And squid guts smell disgusting. They're disgusting. It's called chum. Yeah, it's just gross. In your house, it's just gross. I don't even know why was I talking about squid. How do we get from nuts to squid? Brazil nuts. Does anyone like roasted peanuts? What? Does anyone like honey roasted peanuts? Oh, yeah. I was going to go into the... So do you like a flavored nut? Do you like a hot nut or a honey roasted nut? And what about... Yeah? yeah? Okay. You know what's a delicious candy? Yeah, honey roasted's great. A delicious candy is a French burnt peanut where it's got that weird coating on the outside. Yeah. It's better than the Boston baked bean one, which are always stale. But those those French burnt peanuts, I think, put peanut M&Ms to shame. No offense, peanut M&M. A French burnt peanut. I love those things. Oh, my Mm. God. You know what I like at weddings? I like Jordan almonds. Oh, I love Jordan almonds. Suck on them all day long. Yeah, those things are good. Oh, you just, man, you brought so many, uh, the peanut buster parfait from Dairy Queen. Oh. I never had that. Oh. I never had that. Uh, the local Dairy Queen when I was a kid in Englewood, 
got into a fight with the Dairy Queen Corporation and had to take the word Dairy Queen off. And I forget what they changed their name to, like Dairy Quab or something like that. They changed it to some crazy name because they couldn't call themselves Dairy Queen anymore. Anyway, all right, let's get some questions because we have a whole bunch of them. Lionel Hutz, I was recently says, I was recently gifted a Magnolite eight quart aluminum roaster. Magnolite was the one that came up the, on the last show, by the way. I couldn't remember the name of the Cajun cookware. Magnolite is the one. Uh, eight quart aluminum roaster, which is relatively small because Magnolites can get huge, right, uh, for frying and whatnot. Uh, I think I've heard you talk about them on the show before. I bake bread at home and was thinking it might be worth a shot to try to use the Magnolite to bake a loaf of bread instead of the heavy. Dutch oven that I normally use. Any idea if this might be possible, and if so, how to approach it? I assume my normal strategy uh, would need to be different based on using aluminum versus cast iron, but I am not sure where to start. Here's the problem, Lionel. Uh, Magnolite is, has a very low emissivity, and what, what that means is, is that almost all of the radiant energy from the oven is going to be reflected off of the Magnolite, and so it's going to be very hard to brown inside of uh, the Magnolite because you're only getting conduction, and it's difficult to load heat into the Magnolite uh, as quickly, even though aluminum is great at conducting heat. If you had a, a, an aluminum with a black coating on it, if you were to spray paint right, the uh, bottom of the mag, which don't do this, but if you were to spray paint the bottom of the Magnolite black and then spray paint, well, spray paint the whole outside of the Magnolite black and then spray paint, um, don't do the lid, I'll tell you why in a second, and spray paint the inside walls black, right, so that they radiated towards your thing, I'm sure you could do a great job. It would work better than a Dutch oven. In fact, maybe it'd be too good. It might transmit too much energy uh, to the bread. I bake, uh, I do a lot of baking where I'll use something that is a very high emissivity, like that absorbs a lot of radiation underneath uh, the loaf, and then I'll cover it with something that is very low uh, emissivity, and I'll get an initial rise without setting the uh, crust too much, and then I'll pull that off. So I'll use like a stainless steel aluminum. uh, sorry, stainless steel salad bowls. I'll put them over the bread on top of a baking stone or a baking steel and for 15 minutes, and that's how I'll do my initial oven spring. And you can get really good oven spring out of it. The downside is is that because there's uh, not that much heat transmission through the low emissivity thing, your crust tends to not be as... Um, uh, thick or crispy, so you have to sometimes put it in the oven again after it comes out because uh, the crust isn't as thick and it won't be as hard. So anytime you're using low emissiv- emissivity, you're probably going to get less evaporation off the crust. Uh, you'll still get the steam trapped in there, but I would say maybe use it upside down on top of a steel, right, and then pull it off and, and see how see how that works. But uh, I think you're going to have some troubles getting it um, properly brown all the way around, which is the problem most people have. People used to do roast turkeys in those things, and they're always a little wan, a little sallow uh, on the outside because of that. Anyway, was that a decent answer, folks? Is that all right? Is that all right? Mm-hmm. All right. Elsie writes in. I think it's Elsie. Maybe it's Else. E-L-C-E. What do you think? Else or Elsie? Else? Elsie? Else? I don't know. Uh, I'm working on an art project with some friends and have the slightly harebrained notion to try to create a large cubic souffle for an event on 18th of February. When is that? That's soon. Uh, is this physically possible? Doesn't need to be a perfect cube and have the, and, uh, and have the skills, uh, blah, blah, to fabricate a pan dish in which it can be cooked. Ideally, we're thinking somewhere around 50 centimeters cubed. That's 20 inches for you English unit folks. We should just call them American units. The English don't use those units anymore. You know what I mean? 
American, American units. It's about 20 inches, people. Uh, is there any way that eggs alone could support this scale? Uh, if not, is there a product that could be added to support the structure, or could this uh, structure be supported internally to rise around, i.e. some cylindrical metal pillars could also be used to help distribute heat to the center and cook internally? Thanks for your thoughts. Well, the second part, I, I, th- I think you should be able to get, people regularly make them that are like 12. You're talking like 20, which is over twice. And I think the main issue, and what I don't know, and you might have to run some experiments, it's all going to have to do with whether souffles are a closed cell foam or an open cell foam. In bread, right, it doesn't take, uh, normally if you take a solid thing like meat, right, and you double the amount of uh, 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 linear area, a linear um, distance that the heat has to penetrate, you're multiplying the cooking time by a factor of four, right? And so when you're doing, right, so that's how it should work. Anytime that you're doubling the length the heat is traveling through, you're multiplying by four. Notice bread doesn't work that way because what happens with bread is after the initial expansion, the cells start popping and then it's fundamentally an open channel where steam can very quickly equilibrate. That's why you can cook a really large loaf of bread in under an hour, right? Well, well under an hour, like, you know, if you wanted to, right? Sometimes you want to cook it longer to get the crust. Whereas banana bread, which has a closed cell foam, right? That uh, takes like 55 to 60 minutes to cook, right? Because it takes a long time for the heat to travel through because it's not as opened cell. So I don't know how, and look at a popover. A popover can cook almost, you know, very, very quickly because it's got one giant bubble and then the steam can go through it all around it and cook it, right? So I think the problem you're going to have is you have to figure out whether a souffle, and I wasn't able to figure it out on a very quick Google search, whether it's an open cell or a closed cell foam. If it's a closed cell foam or acts like a closed cell foam, it's going to take too long for the center to cook or, or get enough structure that you're going to be able to get it out. In which case, as you say, I'm pretty sure that you could take a cube and then make a small, you know, make a, 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 a hole in the middle as long as air can get to it and, and you know, un- from underneath, almost like a, like a bunt pan, like a square bunt pan, right? And then I think you shouldn't have uh, any issues. It should be fine. The, the product itself, I don't think you're going to get that much extra actual physical pressure from that height. Um, you might want to stabilize the egg whites a little bit, but I, you know, it should work. But please run a test. Never have the first time you do something like this be when you need to do it. I cannot stress this enough. You know how you watch TV shows and like, you know, they it's like, uh, I don't know, some, some, some sort of version of a chef contest show and the producers are like, you need to use some crazy technique that looks good on TV. And then the poor cook, who I'm sure is a great cook when they're cooking the stuff that they know how to cook, is like, I'm going to use this wacky technique that I've never used before. And then they're like, lo and behold, it doesn't work. Oh, you know what I mean? And that's always the way it is. So if you if you don't do something like this, uh, w- like cold once, like you know, do the do some tests. Does that make sense? I looked at a couple square souffles, by the way, smaller ones. Be aware that you're not going to get like super flat square coming up. You're going to get some doming on the square. Be aware of that. Just you know, be aware. Uh, that makes sense, guys. Is that enough of a was that a decent answer? or No, I have no idea. No, there's no mm-hmm. one. All right, fine. All right. Uh, Alexander uh, Camarata says, I'm going on a bike packing trip next week and I have access to a freeze dryer, presumably not on the bike. Uh, any recommendations on what I should prepare? 
Well, okay. I've never done a lot of tests of, I mean, uh, you know who knows about this is Jackie Molecules. Jackie Molecules knows about freeze-dried products to take on camping trips. But um, I have only ever done freeze-dried stuff to try to determine whether it would be good on its own, not whether it is good to rehydrate. I would assume that most people who are taking things on backpacking, bikepacking, whatever, camping, whatever you're going to call it, are willing to rehydrate the product and not having to eat it as is. And I have a lot less experience with that. When you want to eat something directly from freeze-dried, uh, do you remember those tests we ran, Nastasia? how gross some of those things were freeze-dried if you just eat them as is? Yes. Yeah. My, my least favorite thing, I think, maybe ever, I freeze-dried some oysters, and... You oysters don't have a lot of fat, right? So if you're going to freeze dry something and you're going to eat it without rehydrating it, um, it either needs to have something that melts in your mouth like sugar, which is why fruits work well, right? Or it needs to have something that has some lubricity to it, right? It needs to have some fat in it. Because if you just take an oyster, it's like, it's like, it was like the, it was both the driest and like most ocean, it's like sucking, it was like imagine the ocean mixed with the desert in your mouth. And that's what it was like. It was like somehow the driest and also like the just off-putting, most off-putting, one of the more off-putting. I mean, I've made some terrible things when I've testing before, but it was real bad. Whereas kielbasa, freeze-dried kielbasa, that tastes good. Freeze-dried kielbasa is good. I never tried rehydrating it, but freeze-dried kielbasa, I could just eat that. We were going to make a snack mix at existing conditions because we had a freeze-dryer, and so we were freeze-drying all of this stuff, and yeah, to me, the one that pops in my mind as being delicious was the kielbasa, but I don't know what's good for rehydrating. Uh, Jack, you got any uh, good freeze-dried products that you like to, to rehydrate on your on your uh, camping? I mean, yeah, like, you know, the stuff, the Mountain House Adventure stuff was fine, and like I said, nothing really like blew me away, though. So I'm kind of still in search of this as well. Yeah, still in search. Yeah, like, uh, I don't know. What, yeah. what would be the best to bring? Because you don't have to freeze dry. I wonder what's worse, powdered eggs or freeze dried eggs? Wait, is, is, is jerky not freeze dried or that's just dried? That's it's just, just dry. Aged. So the, the advantage of freeze drying is that um, it maintains its structure so it doesn't compress. Uh, and what that means is, is that it can rehydrate very quickly. Right. So, you know, it absorbs water, you know, and, and goes back to its initial shape. Once something is standard dried, it never reinflates to its original volume with certain exceptions. Mushrooms are very good at drying. Right. Mm, freeze dried ice cream. I like freeze dried ice cream. Yeah. NASA. Yeah. NASA. You know, those astronauts, uh, you know, whatever. That's the one thing they got. Although, like, when I was a kid, I was like, this sucks. It's not cold. But now I love it. Right. When I was a kid, I was like, ice cream needs to be cold, jerks. That's what I, I mean. That's pretty much actually probably what I said. You know what I mean? But I like the so, okay. So there's two kinds of freeze dried ice creams. When I was a kid, that they sell at the National Air and Space Museum. When I was a kid, all they had were the blocks of the Neapolitan. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, yeah. Now they do freeze dried yeah, ice cream yeah, sandwiches. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's classic. Now they do freeze dried ice cream sandwiches. And, and I have to say, I love a, an ice cream sandwich, but I've never tried the freeze dried ones. I mean, I love ice cream sandwiches. So have you tried adding um, a moisture to it? No, but it would melt, I assume. I guess it would. 
It would melt, I hope. Unless they stabilize it with something. Cold you know? water? How could you re... That'd be interesting. How do you rehydrate freeze-dried ice cream without yeah. melting it? How do you, like, get the water back in without... I think it would just... It would just- it would just dissolve, wouldn't it? Well, yeah, but there's got to be a way. Milkshakes? <laughs> Free dried milkshake is just powder. It's just powder. You can't get the structure back. Imagine like a cup uh, like full of like freeze dried milkshake, and then you're like, what am I going to do with this? What am I going to do with this? Anyway. Uh, Mizos by Bezos writes in, how much time do I have left? Because this is going to take the whole thing. Listen, let's get me. Okay, I'm going to get back to this super process thing because I, I could go on for that forever. But remind me at the end to just go crazy on the, on the super process. All right. Um, Josh S writes, okay, well, what? Sorry. Can I interrupt for a moment for a, a special announcement from a friend of the show? And now an announcement about our friend, Richie and the Koji. Koji, 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 Koji. All right, go. Yeah, Rich was Rich was gonna call in the other day, but the scheduling didn't work out. So he just wanted us to share uh, the news about uh, Koji Con, which is an online fermentation conference. It starts February twentieth, so it's pretty soon, um, and it's a full two weeks. Digital conference. How do they get to and, it? And um, they can go to org. Right. So if you if you don't know, uh, Rich, uh, she and Jeremy Umansky wrote, uh, you know, the the first and maybe still I don't know if it's still the only, but the first book really on just koji fermentation uh, we had them on the show a couple of years ago check that out they're on the old voldemort network they were on when they were on but you got to go check it out uh and uh yeah his uh his what's it called instagram handle i think is our cook quest correct and go check them out rich is good people and if anyone knows their stuff on koji fermentation it's rich so go check out his conference right yeah, and they're yeah they're Rich and Jeremy are presenting as well as uh, Sandor Katz, ah. David Zilber, ah. a lot of a lot of uh, former guests. Yeah, two other, and people other great yeah. fermentation. Yeah, people. Nope, there's yeah. no one else. Just kidding. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Yeah, we've had all yeah, those people on the show. Yeah, very <laughs> good. Is uh <laughs> is uh Ariel doing anything? Uh, I don't know off the top of my head. If not, that's an oversight. To get Ariel on that, mm-hmm. need to have her back on the show. Haven't had Ariel in a while on the show. Love Ariel. All right. Uh, Josh S writes in. Is that all we got, Quinn? On that? Are we good on that? Yeah, I think so. All right. Uh, Josh S writes. In, you know that uh, freaking John and not here. I'm going to talk smack about him. Named his dog Koji. His dog's name is Koji. What do you think about that, Stas? I think it's lovely. <laughs> I think it's lovely. When was the last time you've ever said, I'm trying to figure it out. Like, I'm fine with what you're saying, but I'm saying, when was the last time that phrase ever came out of your mouth? I don't think I've ever heard you use that (laughs) phrase before, but I'm liking it. I think it's lovely. Yeah. No, you know how I feel (laughs) about the dogs. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I do. I know how you feel about the dog. I think it's lovely. (laughs) All right. Uh, Maybe it's named after... Koji Kondo, who is the composer for all the famous Nintendo games. <laughs> wow. I, I, no, I did not know that. Uh, 
So what is Boogie your Kondo. what is your favorite use of the like Mario Brothers theme? For me, it's the Super Brooklyn song. You know that song, Super Brooklyn. No. Yes. Yeah, Super Brooklyn's a great song. But they, they at the time that they were calling themselves because I think they were sued or something. They they were calling themselves Coco Brovas. Super Brooklyn. Mm. Check out that song. It is a good song. It's all mm. Nintendo. In the back, like that's like the main sample is and it's like, yeah, that's not the sample they were using, Joe. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, those themes are like the jazz standards of our time. <laughs> wait, let me. I need you to say. I, I heard what you said, but I need you to repeat it one more time. Those themes are like the jazz standards of our time. Wow. Wow. (laughs) Are you you an 8-bit, like, uh, do you get on stage with your Game Boy and do all the modified Game Boy stuff? My friend Damon Harjoy Rogo does uh, some of that 8-bit stuff. Are you uh, you an 8-bit music fan? That stuff is cool, but, like, I, I've seen, like, I'll go to jazz clubs, like, you go to a small jazz club or something, and, like, in the middle of a jam session, they'll just kind of bust into, like, the Legend of Zelda theme, like, and then they'll, they'll go into it, and then they'll go out of it, because it's just, like, a sound that the world over identifies with. I and see. And these things are really, like, powerful. They're beautiful compositions. Okay. Really. Well, let me, okay, one, one more before we let it go then. What are your thoughts about some of the early games that used actual jazz songs in their theme? I'm thinking of Spy Hunter using Peter Gunn theme. That was sick, right? That was sick. Yeah. What is it, Nick? Mm, I don't know. I lost him. Uh, Spy Hunter, hard to emulate. I know that none of you out there are illegally emulating games, 8-bit games, with your main consoles. I know none of you have done this before, but if you were to do it, Spy Hunter very hard because it has a lot of non-standard controls, right? Same way that Star Wars is hard because it's hard to mimic the vectors well, and it's got weird controls. And Sinistar has weird controls. Not that I'm advocating that you illegally work on 8-bit games. Ooh, what do you... I'm not going to get into it. Uh, we don't have time to talk about we don't have time to talk about video game sound systems. You know that Berserk, remember Berserk? Of course I do. With Otto, the head that bounces across, they spent a lot of extra money getting it so that they could make those human, you know, intruder alert, intruder alert. That was all the money to fit that into a tiny eight bit chip. Like that was huge technology at the time. Stop the humanoid. Stop the chicken. Remember that? Anyway, love that. Love it. Love it. Uh, okay. Josh S. writes him, uh, I've recently discovered that certain mustards, specifically processed ones, and especially yellow powdered, give me insane heartburn and gastrointestinal distress. I can eat other brassicas and things like black mustard seed with no issue. Any idea why this would be the case? I'd originally intended to make this the year of mustard, but it's clear I will have to find another thing to pursue. Well, Josh, uh... I was a little stumped because you said powdered mustard also did it. So I was like, maybe uh, the problem is with turmeric, which is in a lot of yellow prepared mustards. Maybe it's vinegar. And then I came across this paper. You ready for it? Here it is. Ready? A comprehensive review on mustard-induced allergy and the implications for human health. Uh, The lead as 2019 
The lead author is uh, 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 um, Akan Akanksha Sharma, uh, 2019, and it turns out that yellow mustard, right, uh, synapsis alba, has a um, an allergen in it, uh, sin A1, right, and actually that's the, the biggest one, but there's also sin A2, sin A3, and sin A4 that are primarily in yellow mustard seed and aren't in brown or black mustard seed. Uh, the, you know, the main allergen, a possible allergen in them is bra. J1, bra, J1, B-R-A, J1. Uh, so check out that paper, and it could be that, in fact, you are uh, having a reaction to these um, these things that are fundamentally only in yellow mustards. That's interesting, and I learned something new. So check out her paper, and, uh, you know, yeah. yeah. I didn't know turmeric was in, it was, it was in yellow mustard. A lot of yellow mustards get that punchy, punchy yellow color from added uh, turmeric. Like, think your your French is. I'm I'm allergic to turmeric. It gives me kidney stones. Really? Yes. So look at look on your mustard packs. You know what I mean? Uh, a lot of especially ballpark mustard style mustards. So if you're doing like your whole mustards or your other things, they a lot of they don't have that. Like it's mainly like vinegar and no, mustard I only do water. Attempty. Really? That's it. What the hell, man? Are you Lower East Side Manly? I grew up in Florida, man. They have that down there? Yeah. We used to get it imported. No crap. That mighty fine chocolate pudding. We didn't have it down south. Really? Okay, okay, okay. Let me ask you. Let me ask you this. Do you get the Kadam grape juice down there? Oh, yes. Go Kadam! Kadam was Kadem is the Concord grape juice of record here in the Lower East Side. You know what I mean? Cough syrup too. <laughs> they make a cough syrup? No, but they oh, should. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I visited their uh, their places in the Hudson Valley, and I visited, and they have all sorts of weird flavors that you're not used to. If you go to the Kadem quote, like quote unquote winery, I guess they make this. But like you know, I was like, where are all the juices? You know what I mean? Because they also make like a Concord wine, I think, or something like this. But yeah, so you can stop by the Kadem place, and the lady behind the counter doesn't care. She doesn't care. You know what I mean? It's not just it's not her. It's not her thing to care about whether you care about her stuff. That's not what she's about. Um, Kurt Gibson writes in. Uh, apologize uh, if this has been asked or answered already. I'm a few episodes behind. Who isn't? I wanted to see if there's an update on the next generation of Spinzols. I'll be open. I'll be helping open the bar within the next four to six months. I was hoping to get one. Hey, it's a little bit early, Kirk, but uh, I'd say within. What do you think? What do you think, Quinn and Stas? Ten months. Ten. Uh, I hope so. Yes. Yeah, Quinn didn't sound so. Quinn didn't sound so certain. He gave me an err. Uh, he gave me an err. Uh. You don't think ten, Quinn? They're supposed to uh, make yeah, it this really year. Ten. They're supposed to make it this year. Yeah. Right? They're supposed to make it this year. So maybe ship early next year. They're supposed to make it before Lunar New Year of next Lunar New Year. So we'll we'll see, right? That's like uh I'm I might go to China uh now that things are relaxed in May cuz uh the liquid intelligence uh was translated into um Chinese in in simplified characters so that you know people on the mainland can read it and uh so I might go then and then I can stop by and you know stop by the factory and see see how it's going. Um anyway uh, so we'll see. Was that a good enough answer, guys? Was that good enough? Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, Daniel Ramirez says, hey, can uh, Dave just talk about gluten and different flower strengths for as long as possible until the hammer just kills him over the Zoom? So I'll do that along with the other super processed question because, again, that will take up the rest of the time. 
which we don't have that much left. Dave Kleinman said, uh, okay, what's the recipe uh, for the sauce to marinate and baste authentic Chinese spareheads without any pre-made jars of sauce? I seem to remember apples are involved. I'm not an expert in this, Dave, So, and, and when you said it, have we ever had an expert in that kind of cuisine on the show? If not, that's a huge hole. And I'm assuming you mean, like, I don't know if you mean Chinese Chinese or whether you mean Chinese American, <clears throat> but we need to get some guests on for that. So, you know, John and, you know, Quinn, get, get together and get, get someone on who's an expert in that. You know what I'm saying? Because uh, I, I hesitate to, to say. Radar writes in, years ago you mentioned a perfect temperature for sous-vide-ing carrots that would set them in a way so they would not become mushy with further cooking for stews and the like. I can't remember it. What is it? It's about 65 degrees Celsius for about 15 minutes. Uh, activates the pectin esterase enzymes in the carrots. Uh, depends on the size of the carrot, obviously, but once the center is up, having it go for about 15 minutes is uh, enough. So you have to build in enough time for the carrot to heat through there. If you really want it to get hard, put some calcium in with that with that uh, water. Uh, but another thing you can do, any any temperature below... Well, any temperature above that, the actual, the, look, the paper to read is pectin methylesterase catalyzed firming effects on low temperature blanched vegetables by Lee Nee, 2004, where uh, they also discuss bok choy, Chinese cabbage, green bell pepper, sugar snap peas, and broccoli. Uh, the, the trick there is, is that you don't want, you want a high enough temperature that it makes it through in a reasonable amount of time. The actual enzyme works best at about 50 degrees Celsius. So 65 is what they do for carrots, where once it's up to temperature, about 15 minutes. Uh, but then if you let it ride for a long time, right, at lower temperatures, the color will punch up and it will also get sweeter over time if you want to p- play around with it. And no temperature below 85 will cause them to harden. So if you're doing your low temperature stews and you actually want the carrots to cook, then you have to actually pre-cook the carrots and then put them in. So it depends on what you're trying to do. All right? Fuck Jack. Uh, I'm working with ground-up chocolate because it's quicker to melt. Static electricity is my enemy. Yeah, it is. The usual way to fix it with coffee grounds is to mist water, but that's doom, doom for chocolate. Is there a way to tamp static electricity down without moisture, especially when it's too late and I'm already shaking bits out of a pastry bag that are shooting all over the place? You know, I don't know. I don't think anyone makes a metallic pastry bag, right? Like, the answer would be to put some metal on it, right, so that uh, you couldn't build up static. But I don't know. Maybe Carolyn Schiff will have some answers for us uh, when she comes on next week. So we'll, uh, we'll ask her. Uh, Jack Rieger, and, and if anyone out there in Discord has an answer, let us know. Jack Rieger writes in, I don't think this came up in the discussion with Dylan last week. I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on the picture you posted on Instagram where you had three glasses of tea that you stirred lightly, didn't stir, and stirred vigorously. What were you experimenting with there, and what was the result? I asked because lately I've taken to stirring my tea to infuse it faster. Tangentially related, I stirred dashi packets in water instead of letting them sit for the same effect of faster infusion. Well, it's definitely true. The infusion is quite different, and uh, I wasn't, I didn't, I don't remember whether the taste result was different, but everything makes it different. So I would do a side-by-side and uh, taste. I was just seeing how much different you would get with different stirring, and the answer was a lot. Um, All right. Oh, my gosh. Uh, Let me see. Uh, Tri-Tip said, recently started using cheesecloth hobo knapsack to wrap aromatics and miscellaneous chicken parts and bones for pressure-cooked stock. I'm pretty happy with the results. Clearish stock doesn't seem to be an appreciable reduction in concentration. Uh, most of the fat and gak stay in the knapsack. Is there a downside to this method? Not that I can think of. If uh, if you're just doing, by the way, uh, herbs, I tie them together with string because it's really easy to pull out and doesn't make a mess. Uh, on the question we had uh, about flowers, Quinn, let's push that to uh, Carolyn Schiff. 
because we can talk about flowers with the pastry people, <clears> and, <throat> and that makes uh, sense. Zach from Pittsburgh wants to know what to do with uh, his ham bone, and the answer, of course, is bean soup, Zach. Come on, man. You freeze the ham bone, and then when it's bean soup weather, you make bean soup, right? Split pea soup, bean soup, whatever. What do you guys think? Split pea or bean? Split pea or bean? Split pea. All right. Jeff, Jeff's, oh, Jeff says, how do you clean an induction cooktop without taking the markings off? I don't know, but Discord hit me back because my induction doesn't have any markings on the top to clean off, so I just scrub the ever-loving bejesus out of it. Ian wants to know some uh, things to do uh, with a searsall. He's been making chicken. Uh, he didn't have too much uh, success. Sous vide chicken isn't good with a searsall to crisp it because you actually need time to render the liquid out of the skin to get it to be crispy. We'll come up with some stuff, uh, and we'll talk about it next week. Uh, Egos wants to know what the acceptable temperature, target temperature for a martini is. Uh, cold. Martini can be a lot colder than you think it is when you're stirring. Try to get it down to at least zero Celsius. If you go too much lower, it's going to be too diluted, but you can throw that sucker in the freezer and it'll still be fine. Dave, I don't know the difference, climbing, I don't know the difference between ground bean uh, sauce. I don't use it that much, but it's basically just another fermented bean sauce. I have a bunch of other questions I need to get to. We'll get to the next time we have a no tangent, and I'm also going to do Mizos by Bezos questions on super processed food because I could literally rant about that for a half an hour. The whole term makes me angry. So we will get back to it on a future cooking issues. 